Welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest, the podcast. The podcast where we take maybe a controversial idea, maybe a difficult idea, something that's challenging, uh, and rather than be pushed apart by differences of opinion, we find it curious and interesting and say, hmm, please tell me why you think differently to me. That's the goal of the podcast. I'm here with Cam. Hedy. Is that howdy, Hedy? Uh, Cam's joining me again, and we've got a guest today named Mike. Mike, it's good to have you here. Thank you. How are you going? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Uh, it's a beautiful Sunday morning, and Sunday is probably a great day to discuss our new clickbait topic that Mike is going to share with us today. Uh, we, were, we were throwing around a few clickbait ideas, and we came up with... Do you remember what it was, Mike? God had nothing to do with your Bible. <laughs> well, that's pretty close. Something like that. <laughs> God, God, had God had nothing to do with your Bible. That's 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 gonna get some that's gonna get some clicks on that one, and that's the goal of the clickbait. Uh, but Mike, that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty triggering for a large swath of our immediate community. Can you? We've got the clickbait. Can you soften it a little bit? So your Bible had nothing to do with God or God had nothing to do with your Bible. What are you talking about when you mean your Bible? So I would say my understanding of what we would call Scripture, certainly in the 1980s, what the, the teaching that I would have received as a young person was that, in, in essence, the Bible's true, God said it, it's written down, and that's what you've got. Like literally true. Literally true. Uh, there's mm. nothing in the Bible that's not true. Mm-hmm. And so because it's not just, as much as we might say, inspired by God, mm-hmm. actually what we mean was this is the word of God. So God said it, and somebody wrote it down. So to be uh, like a bit more theological, are you talking about, the Bible, the, the theology that is the Bible being the inerrant word of God. Is that the... Look, I guess to, to couch that in uh, a situation where biblical literacy isn't fantastic, certainly in a white Western how would church... You def- how would you define biblical literacy? What, what re- are components? Re- reading and understanding. Like understanding what components of it? Like, is it... Cultural setting, okay. Cultural context, uh, language, all translations, of those, all of those sorts of things that come with a, a situation that we're uh, being told about or is being written about that happened two thousand and more years ago. Okay, two to five thousand years ago, probably in reality, that's being written about after the fact. Yeah, and so as a as a young person in church, you're not told or couched in any of the background. The cultural background. No cultural context. None whatsoever. No theological training. None whatsoever. And if there is some sort of a, you know, oh, well, the people of Rome understood this to be X, Y, Z, it's still nothing that I would be able to clarify and check on. And and probably actually just to to say that things are very different now because I could just pick up my phone and Google just what you've told me. Yeah, And go, right. is that right? That wasn't the case back then. Uh-huh. So what, what you're saying then um, with that definition of... Um, of Bible and the use of word in that click or your sorry in in that clickbait title what I'm picking up is you're alluding to the fact that we all 
have a lens through which we we view the world. Is that pretty safe to say? I'd say that's exactly right. And also, the, the like our understanding of the Bible is the translation that we've chosen to, or we've been, you know, it's been presented as the best. So, for example, in a Baptist setting, it, it was probably the King James to the New King James to the NIV. There's still interpretations and translations of what was written back then. Uh, and then, as you said, Cam, we're looking at it through the cultural lens, through the social lens, the way we've been raised, etc. So lenses are like... Filter. The filter we've been handed by our, say, white, middle-class, Australian upbringing yep. has handed me a lens. Yes, totally. And when you say your Bible, God, God had nothing to do with your Bible... Everyone has their own Bible, I guess, in a way. Is that what you're kind of saying? So I can't read the Bible without my lens that I've been handed in front of me. That's right. right. You, yeah. I mean, you, you get on uh, Bible Gateway yeah, uh, and you look at the, the different translations yeah. of the Bible. They all give you a different perspective. If you read it in the Message or you read it in the New Living Translation compared to the NIV or the NLT, etc., the, there's a difference. Then you've got, as you said, our white middle-class upbringing. Then there's your different family culture yeah. uh, and handed down from your granddad, to your, from your great-granddad, etc. And then on top of that, you've got your own social settings and influences as well. Tell us a bit about that, like a bit about your lens in particular, say, where like maybe a bit of your family background, stuff like that. Like how, how did you grow up in, into this? You're not really talking about everybody else's Bible or no. whatever. Like no. this is an experience that you've had. So just That's sort right. of share a bit of, about that for us. So I, can't, I grew up in a non-church, non-Christian home, but with an auntie and uncle who were very fundamental, fanatical, conservative Baptists. And so what I mean by that, they would say, well, we don't have TV in the home because that's a, that's a bad influence. Dancing is out. Smoking and drinking, they're definitely out. Uh, movies, they're bad. You wouldn't go to movies. A gauge of your faith is how often you're in church and the church events that you go to. And so you've got to be at the prayer meeting. You've got to be at the choir practice. You've got to be at the service in the morning. You've got to be at the service at night. Those sorts of practices would be a, a show at Christmas time. There's a big, like Belgrave Heights convention, there's a similar sort of thing in Tassie, where I'm from, uh, where the, the good Christians would be at that thing for a week, you know, that every day is Bible teaching and you're camping there and all of those sorts of things. So from my perspective, uh, my mum and dad were very much against my auntie and uncle because they were sort of fire and brimstone, you know, straight openly tell my grandparents they're, they're going to hell. Even though my grandmother did attend the local Anglican church. Not um, enough, apparently. <laughs> Not <laughs> enough. She was a dancer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Well, there, there, is, uh, there is talk that uh, the Baptists did ban uh, people having sex standing up in case it was mistaken for dancing. So, <laughs> so, so you, just, you just never know where that's going to go. So, just, Do you mind telling me how they policed that model? <laughs> Bad ways. <laughs> yeah, there was random checks made. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, there where was I? <laughs> so my so my mum and dad quite against that whole scenario. 
uh, I became friends with a guy at school who was involved in the local church, which is the one my auntie and uncle happened to go to. But they had a really great youth group, predominantly boys, like Testosterone Central. Our town had the local speedway. We were into motorbikes, camping. There was a, a, the Boys Brigade, which was sort of like the youth thing in the Baptist circles, was massive. And so kids off going camping up you know, the Highland, Central Highlands and all that sort of stuff. And then me as a sort of adder honour, after I left school, I sort of became involved with this group. Uh, would go off on their camps, but we'd all take our motorbikes and be yahooing around. And it was just... So that, so that setting, the, the boys sitting pulled me into the church in terms of the community that you're talking about. And then that gets you to going along to the evening services, going along to youth group and staying for devotion time where they're doing a little Bible story. How old were you when you started to get involved? 16, 17, that that sort of era. And then then became what you would call, you know, a Christian made a commitment to Christ at 19. Was it a similar in like the church that you ended up attending and the belief structure that you became a part of? Was it similar to what your auntie and uncle were involved with? It was the church. It was the church, okay. Which okay. which then put me at odds with my mum and dad because uh-huh. I'm now going to the church. And then uh-huh. uh, what made that worse was that I married a girl from a neighbouring church in the same denomination. Okay. So that that was a difficult pill for my mum and dad to swallow. Uh, as much as they loved us, <laughs> yeah. being involved in the church with them was seen as a pretty negative influence. Interesting. Uh, even though my mum would say that was a positive influence in many respects, because it kept me from being a, you know, yeah, yeah, even though I was a Yahoo. (laughs) (laughs) Hooning a little bit too hard. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah, okay, for those listeners, Mike is wearing a Red Bull Holden racing team shirt, so (laughs) he clearly has not reformed. (laughs) And then follow on, how long have you been or were you a Christian for from your, from when you went into it? So 19 was when I sort of... And I don't know that that was a big momentous time. It was yeah. sort of, for me, it was probably more significant for the other people around me that I'd put a line in the sand that I'm now part of your, yep. part of your team, part of your club. So then after marriage, we got involved with the church where my wife was from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was encouraged into leadership. What church? Like a Baptist? Ba- Baptist church. Okay. Yep. Yep. So this is relatively a, conservative. Yep. yep. In Northern Baptist. Tasmania, certainly of a similar ilk to the one that I'd first started with. Okay. And so. Not everyone, but people within that denomination and older people certainly had an influence around things like entertainment. And so Sunday was a, you know, you don't work on Sundays, uh, you don't play sport on a Sunday, mm-hmm. you don't watch telly on a Sunday, uh, a whole range of things that were sort of frowned upon. There were people within that church that wouldn't go to movies. Is that because it's like the day of rest or church day? Day or? of rest, that would be considered the day okay. of rest, yeah. yeah. But, then, but then the movies was m- more of a thing for just a... A pocket, uh, the temperance union, which is you know no no alcohol. Temperance the union. The temperance union that was a that was a big thing. So that's a that's historically been a, a big uh, you know no alcohol. So so communion. I was quite surprised actually. Like communion with the Baptist church would be black currant juice and a and a wafer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you go along to the gospel hall and they had real port <laughs> in a common cup. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, uh, no worries about coronavirus. Thing, okay. but anyway. <laughs> Just to be topical. <laughs> yeah, okay. Adventist and Baptist are very similar. 
yeah, so okay. so uh, yeah, all, all of those things, uh, and and people would openly say, oh well, the um, the wine that uh, Jesus turned the water into yeah. was was non alcoholic wine. Yeah, it was grape juice. They was great. They'd say right. it, there's no way it could be real alcohol because that's mm-hmm. not what Jesus would do. Because right. the Bible's clearly anti alcohol. Yeah. yeah, so a re- a very um, conservative yes. Uh, church. Yes, and how long have you been involved in? at least that stream of denomination for so 30 odd years now 30 years yeah so what led you to this highly controversial idea that maybe the bible you were handed and reading and the rules that you followed that they said came from the bible I guess I've got to be. I've got to clarify that I wasn't a big reader of the bible I would go to bible studies yeah. and we would read portions of the bible yeah and of course, if you're from an, a denomination where everyone thinks similar, mm-hmm. they're, they're taught from a certain angle. Those stories have, have got this a certain... This means this. That's, this means this. That's right. And so you're already set up for yeah. reading it in, in When that it vein. says wine, it means Rabina. That's right. Exactly right. you don't right. even really need to think critically because somebody else, like your church pastor, is That's doing right. that hard That's work right. for you. That's right. You might think of uh, application when you're talking about, you know, how does that apply to my life or those sorts of things. Right. But in terms of what this has actually said to the people of the day and to you, you're not really taught to think through that so much in a mm-hmm. critical way. And so it wasn't until early 2000s I came to Victoria to go to Bible college. And that was where... I was opened up to the idea of thinking differently about the Bible in terms of not not critiquing it as much as uh, thinking through what's actually being said more thoroughly. All right, what's being said around this issue, but how was it understood by that culture? Why was it written in this story? How does it fit in this chapter? And so, so why did you give, go to Bible college? Um, I guess initially I thought it was a sense of calling. That would have been how I would have mm-hmm. described it. That what, what was your occupation? Truck driver. Truck yeah. driver. So, so well, I had my own transport business. I bought my own first truck when I was eighteen. Yeah, and then and uh, you did that all yeah. the way up until you went to Bible college. Yep. Right. Yep. That's pretty much it. Sold up my business. Went to Bible college. When did this start to change when you started to realize that your Bible that you used to have wasn't really what it should be or wasn't really correct or wasn't really accurate? Well, some of the... I don't know that I came to the point then that I thought it wasn't accurate. Mm -hmm. I I was more to the point that our understanding of it wasn't quite clear Mm -hmm. at that point. I and then you delved more into it. I, I, I guess uh, at Bible college, I was given permission to be me. Mm. All right, you're going to uh, because it became apparent that I was going to be a church planter or be part of a church planting team. Yeah. That, that's where I was headed. How do we start something? Is that con- like a pastor, a church, a, a pastor that's starting something new? Okay, you're, you're starting a new work. So you were going to become a pastor. Yep. Okay. Yeah, but I didn't think I didn't know that's what I was going to become, but I knew I was going to be part of something that became quite apparent. Yeah. And people are encouraging you that way too, which yes. can steer your thinking, you know, and yes. that's not necessarily 
always God talking. That's yeah. that's you know we've got a position to fill, and uh, you know <laughs> God's Conrad, calling. Con- Conrad, I reckon you'd be great in the Sunday school. <laughs> I really God's feel calling. you need to pray about this because this is what this is what God's got planned for you. But I hate kids. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. What we're seeing is no. What you don't understand is that I've been praying, <laughs> and I think you'd be great at it. That's right. The kitchen exactly. needs you to wash the dishes the, after pot. Exactly life. right. I hate being in the kitchen. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> You're missing God's call. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm aware that that can be an influence as well. But yeah. So I guess I'm operating under a sense of God's calling. I got to the to the three year mark in my you know I was squeezing my three year degree into four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the th- end of the three year mark. Still had no idea really where I was going and what openings. But it all started to open up in the in the following twelve months. I was back part time truck driving, part time study to finish off my degree. And this whole permission to be me was mm. was the thing, you know. How, how was that given to you then? Through, uh, I guess, people at BCV, leaders, people who I hold in esteem, who are saying, you know, what, what's needed is a contemporary church. What's needed is yeah. people who understand the culture and understand people, people who are not frightened to say shit if it needs to be said or, <laughs> yeah. have, you know, we'll have a beer and just be normal, you know, yeah. just be a normal person. Because what I was seeing was the church is largely irrelevant. And if I was to say to church people, you know, bring along your unchurched friends, mm. most of them don't want to do that because they know their church, unchurched friends would be so out of kilter with it or they really actually don't have any unchurched friends. Mm. They seriously, they have some work colleagues, but they do not have so, unchurched friends. So you, trying, to, trying to bridge the divide. Church was, as you saw it, like this irrelevant echo chamber that wasn't really a space that someone that didn't grow up in the culture could even be a part of. I've been quite criticised for saying church is not relevant to mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Church is relevant to the life of the people who church is involved with. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another clickbait <laughs> title. We can go with church is irrelevant. We should have gone with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah the, okay. I, I surveyed the town where we, where we uh, started the church yeah. and uh, 11 out of 12 people came up with some sort of iteration of when asked the question, why aren't you part of a church? Why don't you go to mm. church? Church is not relevant to life. That is a really hard pill for people to swallow when church is their be-all and end-all. It's relevant to them. And it's relevant to them. And not only that, it's the framework in which they've placed Jesus and hope and life and salvation. Mm. And so for church then to be pushed to the to the outer is, is both offensive to them and almost impossible to process you cannot process church and jesus apart from one another you cannot process what you've been taught which is everybody needs jesus the only way to happiness and eternal life is jesus and it's couched in this framework. You know, you've of got what church you, is. You've got people like Bill Hybels and um, um, Rick Warren and those guys mm-hmm. saying yeah, the the local church is the hope of the world. A famous Bill Hybels, but the mm-hmm. local church is the hope of the world. And I change that to say mm-hmm. the local church may be the hope of the world if it's functioning properly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess in, uh, confined within that one word is a cultural interpretation and representation of what church. Yes. Is because you can totally. get many more progressive people saying, "Oh, look, there's three people. We're at church today." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But but and a lot of people will even that's not really a controversial thing. They'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, of course." But when you say church, you're talking. About I'm talking about a time slot. I'm talking about a building. I'm talking about a location. Pastor, a few songs. Yep, yep. And talking about. I'm not even talking about a group of people. Right. 
I'm talking, when I say church, I'm talking yeah. about a go-to place at a time slot. And that time slot better be 10 o'clock on Sunday. <laughs> we can drift back to half past nine and we can go through to 11. But we're <laughs> Or for other denominations, yeah, on 10 a Saturday. o'clock on a Saturday. Yeah. Don't That's you dare right. say Sunday. That's right. Exactly. 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 And the, the other thing is too, that, that I'm right and you're wrong. Now, that whole thing. And so so now when I go, all right, we open up Bible Gateway on the computer and we look at all of these different translations of the Bible. We, we open up a map of the world and look at all these different countries. We open up a, a, a story about flags and see all of these different world flags represented. And yet we can sit here in white Australia with our white Anglo-European backgrounds and go, we've got it down pat. That's the translation. That's the, that's the way mm. we understand it. But and, we do, right? And, and yes. <laughs> and, and it's the only correct one. And so it mm. starts a situation where we can say we accept all comers. We are welcome and open to everybody. But in actual fact, until you get to this, uh, this level of where we're at, this level of understanding, this acceptance of this as the way, the truth and the life, you are still a second-class citizen. Yeah, so the reality, like the outworking of that belief yep. is that it is more exclusionary than what we care to... Um, Absolutely, because, yeah. because yes, we're all, we're all sinners, but because I found Jesus in this setting and at this time slot, in this denomination, my job now is to bring others into that. And anyone outside of that... You need to isn't, be more like me. You need to be more like me. So you've... This is where... That was your worldview. Yes. So what I'm very interested in is why is it not your worldview now? You mentioned that when you went to Bible college, that was the, you kind of got permission to start, start to thinking. read the Bible differently and your Bible started to change. Yes. Talk to me about that. Okay. So one of the big things for me was the book of Acts. Yeah. Right. So the Acts is a whole lot of spiritual uh, happenings that, I guess coming from a Baptist background where it was more about tradition and biblical literacy than spiritual awakening and uh, God running spiritual rampant. Spiritual manifestations. Spiritual and stuff, manifestations yeah. and all that sort of stuff. There's no, you know, not, you're not speaking in tongues. You're not getting prayed for and dropping to the ground or whatever. And we're not, we're not seeing tongues of fire dancing off people's shoulders, et cetera, so et cetera. The Baptist, Baptist movement is very, uh, I don't know, for want of a better word, white. Very like we don't, put our hands up and sing or we yep. don't like it's very like rigid i guess we, if, if, if you came and performed a, a christian song <laughs> yep. at church we wouldn't clap right yeah and if i was because to we like, don't want to give the glory to you the glory yeah. goes to god and if i was to like get real into my music and like start like bopping and enjoying it is that okay to <laughs> <laughs> well, well the, the drum getting the drum kit in the church was a massive thing so you had the drum battles as oh, well so I, so i was the first ever drummer in our church and they well, that's the where it all went down. Yeah. That's it. That was <laughs> trouble, right? That was the start of it. That was the start of it. And I, and I had that uh, six eight timing got you. Uh, I had yeah. I had Three many okay. <laughs> many conversations with people about the beats per minute that were deemed to be you know. I was playing at ninety seven. I'm telling you, it yeah. was one ten. You sped up. That's right. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Well, you know how to, to tell when a drummer's come to visit you. 
Uh, the rhythm of his knock varies. <laughs> Out. As a drummer, I'm offended. <laughs> My timing only sped up slightly when I got excited. <laughs> the, the, the difference between the drummer and the drum machine is the drum machine only has to be set once. <laughs> so, all right, all right. Let's see if it is. This is getting a bit personal here. <laughs> So, so, so that whole idea that um, the, the spiritual side of of um, the Bible through the Acts, Book of Acts, and what have you, also was coupled with me being at a college that was multicultural. I've come from very conservative. You know, Tassie was. You know, if you saw a, a person of colour walking up the street, it was like, oh wow, it was a massive deal. And then I come over here, and my next door neighbours are from Singapore, and the people next to them are from Fiji, and. What have you? There's heaps of because I'm living on campus, so there's lots of people from overseas that are studying there, and so my eyes are being opened to not just cultural differences, but different understandings and different um, ways of worshiping and that sort of stuff. We go to chapel; there'd be different people involved in in the um, music team that would be leading in different ways, and so you'd have you know, high Anglican doing all sorts of things around Lent and stuff. I'd never even heard of Lent in a Baptist uh, setting and all, all those sorts of things. So my eyes were being open to... It's like travelling overseas, you know. You, you, it's very easy to live in your country town in Australia and go mm, to the same... That's the world that, that is. Yeah. Exactly right. And so I was being exposed to the world and a new way of thinking, a new way of seeing things. And I, I remember one situation where... Our lawn had been aerated on the campus, and those those aerators that take little finger-sized pieces of dirt out of the lawn, you know, to let it in. And this uh, pastor from Singapore yells out to my wife across the green, probably 50 metres, there's kids around me, look at the lawn, Wendy, it looks like dog shit. And our kids were like, oh, Irene, Irene swore. <laughs> So just things like that that, are, that you know, like you read Charles Spurgeon. I mean, he's a great preacher from years ago, and, and some of the words that he's used that were you know common words of the time. You, if you spoke those words in church in 1980 here, they'd be like so offensive that you would say those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I, my eyes were open to some different thinking and and different ways of seeing things. And so that began the journey of being open to different stuff living here, living in and amongst Vietnamese, being whatever. Then I go out there to start church planting after, after church, and I was called by God to be the man on the ground. Never felt more like this was the right place for me. That I was called to plant a church, and this is what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. I was yeah. going to be pastoring and ministering in this setting. Then the, the bushfires go through in 2009 and I became the practical guy we started a big bushfire um, recovery program ran for six years we had carpenters and builders and on-ground assistance program running and you know about five million about loving it five million dollars I was in element but in the middle of that I'm also ministering to I was a chaplain of the local school I was doing a whole lot of things like that and so I wasn't realising that actually this call by God, that God fueling me and God being my power and whatever, I was actually depleting my resources dra- drastically, looking after a lot of other people's needs and being the go-to guy. Of, you know, your your personal resources, you mean? My like, personal uh, emotional resources uh, were were running down. You were getting burnt uh, out. Getting totally burnt out. And uh, so when I'm when I'm burying people's dogs and hearing their kids inside bawling and screaming and whatever, when I'm burying their kids, 
uh, when I'm dealing with marriages that are breaking down, mm. when I'm dealing with children that it's are being, it's taking a toll, big yeah. family issues. And because of the way that I'd done my ministry, I was pastoring the town. I was involved with the local shopkeepers. I was involved with, you know, intimately with children, their parents, their grandparents. You know their family. You know, you see them down the supermarket and all of those sorts of things. And so in 2013-14, I started to feel quite jaded with the whole thing but put blame in certain areas. You know, when I get Conrad's trouble sorted out, then I'll be right, you know. And then Cam comes along. And when I get Cam's trouble sorted out, well, that's an ongoing process. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good luck. (laughs) That is something I wrestle with every day. Uh, Then I'll be better. And so rather than go, oh, gee, there's something wrong with me, I, I saw it in the circumstances that when I get this thing fixed. And so, unfortunately, I was able to do that for three more years. That just meant I was in a hell of a heck of a lot of trouble. So was that like um, you were seeing that as like spiritual warfare in inverted commas? Like you were... I wasn't, but that's how a lot of people would interpret that. Yeah, right. That is how a lot of people would interpret that. And so mental illness would be dismissed as spiritual warfare. Uh, Satan's having a field day with you. Uh, right. What? What was happening to your, I guess for want of a better word, theology during this whole, what, like 10-year period? Yeah, because it sounds like you're really involved with the community back then. So you're interacting with a lot of different people. So what what were the, like, because I'm presuming that as a community, you were in touch with a lot of different, like, you know, homosexuality, like whatever it was, like you say, different cultures and all that sort of stuff. Were any of your theological things being changed by those interactions, would you say? And if they were, what... what? They, they probably were, but I don't know that I was really aware that that was happening. I was probably, you know, caught up in a cycle of looking after people's needs through the week and preparing a message for Sunday and preaching that message. And, you know, right, what's the passage I'm doing next week and preparing a message that's going to hopefully encourage people and, uh, you know, touch them or whatever. So, yeah, I don't know that I was really aware that that was happening, and yet it may well have been. Those messages that you were preparing, would you say that they were um, still in that um, conservative bent that you grew up with? Or No, not no. necessarily. I certainly was very aware of a, um, a racism sentiment, a sexuality sentiment, uh, what have you, so through that process, and so I sort of preached to that stuff and so for instance i would say things like um if the good samaritan story was told today Mm -hmm. it would be the good muslim Mm -hmm. if a leprosy story was told today it'd be about a homosexual Uh, but is that already is that are those messages you're preaching are they already outside the scope of what you used to be a part of yes so that's already a movement from where i was to where i would be and and to be fair i guess i really wasn't exposed to some of that stuff really until I got over here, except for the homosexuality issue, which was a massive one in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Uh, try, they trying to legalise homosexuality back in the 90s and I was part of protests uh, that we would go to and say some terrible things. And, mm-hmm. and that framework came from what I believe is an errant teaching mm-hmm. about what homosexuality is. Homosexual. Homosexuality is totally understood by many people as action, mm-hmm. not attraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... So it's sto- like you can be gay, 
just don't you dare get married, have a boyfriend. No, no, no. You like can't that. even be gay because oh, okay. this, because it's not something you be. It's something you decide to do. Oh, that's right. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's like don't so, be gay. So, so it's because a, you're actually choosing to be gay. So, you're you're yeah. you're choosing to take on a hedonistic and debauched sexual activity, mm. and so from that framework comes you're grooming our children for sex, and so it's it's uh, the link to pedophilia, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. So so while ever it's a choice because if you uh, can choose to be gay, then why wouldn't you choose to pick on right. children? If you pick up the dictionary, the dictionary says homosexuality is same sex attraction. But if you right. pick but if you pick up the Bible. And understand it through the filter that you interpret that the word homosexual as someone who is a debauched and hedonistic sexual deviate. Yeah, yeah. And so the whole thing, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and the so whole the whole thing is about you choosing to have sex. So bringing like, bringing people to a point of understanding that actually these are people who have just they just simply don't have attraction for the opposite sex. Mm. But to do life together is to be living a life of sin as far as mm. as far as those people are concerned and so you know i would say to you too you know if you if you're going pretty well and you've got a bit of energy at your age uh, maybe you've got time for sex once a week and maybe it lasts for an hour if you've got a bit of energy but the other 167 hours you're just doing life together yeah your company you're paying off your bills you're doing yeah. whatever and yet i think in the minds of people who were anti-homosexuality in this which setting, was you which was me yeah the 167 hours is filled with some sort of sick, debauched, whatever. Yeah, you know? if you're not having gay sex, you're thinking about it and that's you're grooming right. kids that's or right. something. E- exactly right. It's part of a movement that's mm. you know, trying to influence people, influence kids, etc., etc. So then, map take this one uh, view, which stemmed from a particular reading of the Bible. Hmm. Map your transition then to, I guess, that's not where you sit now. So... A big part of that was uh, one of my sons is gay. But like I saw, you know, the feminine and just wanting to hang out with girls and what have you right right through his life. Mm -hmm. Um, And because he was very heavily involved with church, leading, worship leading, prayer groups, going Mm -hmm. off and working for organisations that were about overseas aid and development, all of those sorts of things Mm -hmm. in a Christian setting lobbying up in uh, Canberra with um, you know, for Millennium Goals and all those sorts mm-hmm. of things about making sure that kids live beyond the age of five, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so in that setting, uh, in his early 20s, he comes out. But I'd already built a theology around him that was, so you can be effeminate and not... Uh, so uh, in your uh, mind, he uh, wasn't gay. And you, and you can... Well, I always had those... Uh, thoughts but up until about 17 18 when i would say things like such and such you know this girl you're hanging out with she's lovely yeah Yeah, she's not my type or she's not a christian or blah 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 and so the idea that you would wait for the right one to come along and save yourself until you're married yeah was what i was thinking was going on there yeah yeah so you were sort of um encouraging that sort of separation i guess in terms of like you saying oh you know good on you for you know keep himself pure or whatever yes he wasn't even there yet until right. you know in early 20s and so you know when your schoolmates and this is how he described when your schoolmates say to you at you know 17 18 you know such and such she's hot yeah 
Oh, yeah, she's a nice girl, I suppose, you know. Like, yeah, because she <laughs> a was, nice you, hair today. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> but you're, still, you're still trying to work out what, yeah. what, what does that even feel like. You don't realise you're not getting the same tingling in the loins that they're getting yeah, when they say yeah. she's hot. And, and so I, I guess I don't want to go too much into his story yeah. because that's his story. But, yeah, but then when you work out that actually you have feelings for the same sex and attraction and now mm. then working through for quite some time until you're comfortable with actually that's what it is. It sounds like so much of your transition is centralized around people, oh, knowing totally. people of totally. different experience, different. So background. my first-hand experience, yeah, and that's really hard to convey to people who are back there. At some point, you've had to, and this is what I kind of want to unpack. At some point, you've got your Bible that you read as homosexuality is this debauched choice. Mm. Uh, and then at some point it's being disproven mm. on a personal level mm. where your son, you know him, you yeah. know that this is not working out. At some point yeah. you had to let go of one or the other. So so I guess that, that came with, you know, when you read, say, Romans. Yeah. Romans says, you know, man shouldn't lie with man, woman shouldn't mm. lie with woman. That's in chapter one of, uh, uh, chapter eight, verse one or yeah. whatever it is. It's easy to read that without reading at the start where it says they turned away from God and God gave them over to boom, 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 boom. Right. And so now I'm faced with didn't turn away from God, heavily involved right. with ministry, heavily involved with church, yeah, yeah. full of faith, and I'm not attracted to girls, I'm attracted to boys. So your Bible isn't adding up. My Bible isn't adding up and with so this personal experience yeah. because the only people, the only reason people would be homosexual is because they turned away they from God. They turned away yes. from God, yeah. That's right. But you're wow. seeing a person yeah. who's walking with God still, That's still right. a part of the community, That's doing right. everything That's right. that you know, and, good and, Christians and do. And who's not off there doing the debauch yeah. and hedonistic yeah. is just discovering... That, that he just doesn't, he's not attracted to. That's right, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So, so that was part of it. I, I guess to add another thing to that is where women fit in the scheme of things, you know, right. coming, coming from a place where women are not in leadership, where we have people walk out of our church because the woman who's up leading uh, wor- worship starts doing a little talk before the song, you know, about Ooh, God. Yeah, that's, that's, that's controversial. That's, how, many, how many words are we talking yeah, about? That's if right. he said four right. or more, that's I right. am out. That's right, exactly. And I, I remember I was, uh, you know, you'd be duty deacon at church. And so you'd go around. We, we, we had a hall where there was uh, coffee and tea and whatever, and two services we used to have of a morning. And so the coffee and tea happened in the middle. So you'd, uh, so you'd have the morning service, then there's a cup of tea mm-hmm. and the... And, uh, the next service, but the cup of tea for them happened first. So, so everybody came together for their cup of tea. Sure. Right, yeah. So my job as duty deacon would be that when the second service was underway, to go down and make sure that the building's secure so people couldn't sneak in down the back and whatever because people have left from that one, they're still having their coffee when this service has already started. Right. And I remember running into this older couple who were just well-respected, been there for years. I said, blimey, what time do you call this? You know, just stirring them up. Oh, it's the exact time we planned to turn up. Yes, we knew such and such was going to be leading today, and oh, uh, wow. we we we, uh, we won't be um, we won't be preached to they by we won't be preached to by a woman was going to, and so they deliberately showed up late. Deliberately showed up late. And so, so this was like husband and wife couple. So there's yes. a woman involved with that. Yes. Decision oh yes, as well. she's totally supportive of yeah, that. Right. Yep, totally so, supportive. And when you heard this, you were like, oh, fair enough. But I was a little bit. Oh, really? Like, right. Yeah, never really thought about that. Yeah. As, so the only so time you th- your thinking had shifted by that stage already. Yeah. Then yeah. was well, certainly was a sort of like 
It was like, That's, I wouldn't go that far, but I also don't have a problem with it. A bit, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. Well, if that's the way like, you... Okay, well, fair enough. If that's the way you understand... Women it, aren't supposed to do it. Right. So that's where you sat. You kind of were in the camp of like, well, I think that's a bit extreme, but you're yeah. still in the camp of, of seeing women. No, they still can't be pastors. They... And because I'd come into the church late in life, I think I still had a little bit of a, oh, that's a bit ridiculous, because I still okay. did have a, you know, women women are out there leading in the world. Women are yeah. out there, yeah. Yeah. You know, not as much as they I, are now. Not too many, though. Not too many, though. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Keep those numbers low. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they need to know their place. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that as the uh, as, as the caption. <laughs> We're going to get so much traction. <laughs> so, so that that was even something else through through the Bible College experience was just learning culture. And so when you learn that, you know, women be quiet in church. Right. Uh, is actually talking about wives mm. and wives were anywhere from eight years old yeah. was, was not dissimilar to us today going, hey, let's have Sunday school at the same time as church because the kids right. are too noisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You women, teach them quietly at home. Yeah. You wives, teach them quietly at home. We're thinking 36 years old. Yeah. So uh, what then in this, in this, like I guess, theological anecdote of what you used to believe what then was the situation where you started to go, oh, hang on, I think women can be a pastor. And what was the position or point you came to where you went, well, once again, my my Bible isn't adding up to mm. my experiences of, with people. Yeah. Is there a... So, so some of that was just generally reading the Bible. And so when I read the stories of Paul and he talked about the other women that he commended, you know, who were in leadership with him together, who were, you know, please, sure. look, please look after this one and that one and the other one, right. which, which, which didn't add up with his whole idea of, um, you know, women should be quiet and, uh, you yeah, know, thinking of other, other verses, but there's a few times in there where it's about mm. the leadership stuff. Yeah. So... And starting to think about patriarchy too then. And so what filter the Bible being written in a patriarchal time? So you somehow had had your lens pointed to. Yeah. And then you started to read the Bible. So someone take the concept of patriarchy. Uh, It's the idea that men control everything in society and the system is set up. Uh, by men, roughly for men, because yeah, they set it up men. to yeah. favour men. Yeah. So this has been pointed out in some way, and you've now applied that understanding to now your reading of the Bible. Now your Bible is different because you're going, ah, obviously Paul was a patriarch. He yes. was in a society where men dominated more than they do today. Yes, um, and 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 you know, it's certainly uh, fellow students uh, at, the no, Bible no, at Bible College, numbered among them some you know mid to mid to late twenties, pretty strong women who oh. who were involved in churches where leadership was, you know, women in leadership was. Uh, so was that confronting when you rocked up there? No, okay. no, no. I I think I there was so much cultural change that it was just like, oh wow, you know, this is. Yeah. Like I remember the first time a guy guy was walking across the the open green area, and I the one that looked like dog shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it, that's it exactly. So, and uh, that exact one, and uh, I can't remember the issue that I talked to him about. And he goes, "Oh, I'll pray for you," and put his hand on my shoulder and prayed for me right there and then. That was the first time I'd ever had that ever happen. So in all of my church history, I'd never had someone just that you know like it's very easy for me to say, "Ah." Oh, 
yeah, Conrad, I'll pray for you. You don't, don't know what I'd do or don't. <laughs> yeah. don't. Don't touch me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, there's okay. a whole range of things. That were My different. question is, because you're an older gentleman, older than us at least, yeah. a lot of people perhaps with your life experience might go to this Bible college and harden. You, you see it a lot. They might go and then say, yeah, well, they're all wrong. And the, and the people in the church, they left when the woman was up the front. Um, people harden in their position mm. and go, mm. they bunker down and say, no, no, my Bible that I'm reading in this uh, potentially contextless way, mm. that's the right one. Yeah. Why didn't, what do you think it is about either how you think or your life experience, why didn't you harden? Why didn't you, when um, you came across strong women, why didn't you say, yeah, well, they're kind of being seduced by the devil and they shouldn't be, and why why didn't you harden? I probably wasn't, or I wasn't locked in as much as, you know, like coming into the church late in life probably was some of it, coming from a background where... I wasn't a pure, clean, living person necessarily all so the way through. Would you, and would you say you never quite fit in, even though you were in there and believed those things, because you came late, you maybe remained on the edges of the of the system, or yeah, maybe. And and so, I mean, I don't want to lumber everybody in with those views that I've espoused, do you? Yes, so there were still yes. people within that setting who Definitely. would think more like me than they did like them. Yeah, but as is the case with a lot of churches, the influences are the 40s and ups. Mm. Uh, and even the money, even I'd the say the 50s and ups in many churches. Yeah. Now, for a young person to have an opportunity in leadership mm. in a conservative evangelical setting, wow. that's never going to happen. Yeah. That yeah. is never going to happen. You might be a youth leader, yeah. you might be a Sunday school teacher, yeah. but you're not going to be the treasurer or the secretary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even if you're 25, you'll be lucky to be yeah, that. Yeah. You know, that's going to happen when you're a trained accountant, you'll be the treasurer. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I, I just find, I do find it fascinating that, you know, the stereotype right now, would you be a boomer generation? Yeah. Yeah. The stereotype going right now would be, uh, especially if you look politically and things like that, uh, there's a lot of, say, the boomer generation that would say harden in these positions. They, yes. they like you're saying, they're in leadership. They yes. lock to these conservative yes. ideals. Yes. Yes. Even when it comes to climate change, yes. when it comes to all of these things. Yes. And the reason they're locked in there is that they've never had that dime. That there's a there's a diametric change that happens yeah. when it actually affects you. And I, and I think that right. that so so for instance, we've got friends who would still struggle with they they may on the surface and they have on the surface right. Been accepting of our son, yeah, but behind closed doors, yeah, he's lost his way right. because they don't fully know him, they don't fully understand yeah. him, and what have you. So because no they can't personal relationship. There's no that, that's right. like even though there's a personal relationship with him, it's yeah. not enough to sway them yeah. from. Yeah, so they 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 don't know him enough. They can at some point be like, yeah, but. Something's happened. Some right. Whereas right. you're like, this is my son who I've watched every That's minute right. of his exactly life. Exactly right. You've there is no even unknown for you to impose your old theory. That's right. It's like the old theory is just shattered. That's right. So exactly. it sounds like what you're saying is the difference between potentially the stereotyped boomer generation that I guess there's this generational shift where boomers control the wealth and things like that, and there's this like anxiety between. The different generations, I guess 
the difference between that. You're starting stereotype. to sound like a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you dare get me started on millennials. Oh, lazy entitled generation they are. <laughs> oh, funny. Just save your money and work hard. Sorry, we'll rant on them later. But the difference between that stereotype which I would like to know what percentage would actually fit into that, but that's yeah. a stereotype. And you, it sounds like oh, people, your life experience with people that's right. has just shattered totally. your framework. Totally. Relationships have been the key to all of that. Wow. Uh, and, and I think for, like we, we've been in a, per, in a perfect storm, I guess, uh, with, with our son, uh, same-sex uh, marriage debate. Uh, my wife uh, working for two dads and their son. Wow. Uh, so you're you're over here. You, you're backsliding. Exactly. <laughs> so over here we've got the people who profess to speak on behalf of the church. They're either speaking on behalf of the marriage alliance or uh, the the um, Christian lobby, Australian yeah. Christian lobby, yeah. and so deemed by many Australians to be the voice of the church. Mm. They're saying things like. The best outcome for kids is to be with their biological mum and dad. Mm. Even aside from same-sex attraction, I'm saying, what's that saying to good single mums and dads? Mm, yeah. What's that saying to kids whose dad's a prick? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, yeah, 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 and, and mum the same. You know, whatever. Mm. Um, but then on top of that, it's just saying, yeah, you're you're second rate. You're second rate. The kids are second rate. The mum and dad yeah. are second rate. Whatever. Uh, but our experience is actually this boy is just so well parented, so well, really, such responsibility, yeah. all of those sorts of things. Then, then on top of that, you've got the um, situation of me with burnout, where that made me look into well, why is this something that's you know I, I was really quite when you you're following what's your life calling, powered by God, called by God, and now you've ended up in a place where your whole personality has changed from being an out an outgoing extrovert to being a absolutely closed off introvert where you all you want to do is come home shut the curtains and hope nobody comes around wow. where i would finish speaking on a sunday and head i'd walk past the sound desk take my microphone off go straight to the toilet take my time in there so that when i come back out hopefully everybody's talking to someone else yeah. and i can get the vacuum cleaner and start cleaning up wow. And then as soon as we're out of there, go home, shut the curtains, hope there's some anyone, car racing on telly. Did anyone at the church or anything know that this is what you were going through? At the, at that time, no. It wasn't until I started. I was actually studying, believe it or not, it's ironic, I was actually doing my uh, diploma in counselling. Wow. And going, you're like, hold on, I could use some of this. <laughs> I'm going, every every example comes. I'm going, hang on, that sounds like me. <laughs> hang on, that sounds like me too. <laughs> so yeah, that, and what really uncovered it was the church was having some struggles financially. So I'm, so what I decided to do, as always, like I, you know, I'm working five days a week for two and a half days pay, those sorts of things, you know, and that that went on for. Wow. So you began to sacrifice your financial. Oh, I did. I did that from the start. Because I'm call, if it's the calling, of I, the God. calling of God, and so I've, I, I, I come out of that, and I've spent anything that I've gained, yeah. I've come out of that with nothing, and I'm back to starting, and I'm in wow. my fifties. But you, at least you can know that there's, you know, people in heaven on account of you, Mike. So. Warm fuzzies. Yeah, that's <laughs> a paycheck. <laughs> Thank you. What I decided to do was go and do some bus driving. There was some bus, casual bus driving. I thought, oh, that fits in. 
I'll go and do yeah. that. That'll that'll pay my way. I can relieve the pressure there. They don't need so to pay me. So you're still at the church at this point. Still at the church. They don't. And I go to the doctor to get my bus license because my bus license had elapsed. Oh. And that's like a phone book you got to fill out on all your health and well well being and whatever. And uh, the doctor got to the end of it and went, mm, I don't think you should be going driving buses. I think you need to have some time off. Wow. So obviously with the answers that I was giving to the questions that he was asking and where I was at, and so uh, yeah, five days later I was on work cover. And didn't wow. go didn't go back to work for eight months. Wow. So yeah, you know, as controversial as we attempted to make it with uh, your Bible has nothing to do with God, it really sounds like your Bible, your theology, your understanding of God from how your context read the Bible f- failed in so many ways, and ultimately left you burnt out. Um, if you'd have followed it, which I guess you deconstructed it, you'd have like like disconnected with your son. You'd have uh, not met so many people. You'd have had a lot more of an insular worldview. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have yeah. been exposed to so many yes. um, varieties of people and you know races and all those sorts yes. of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess too. Well, like through that, that's made me study the Bible more. And so I find the inconsistencies with the Bible now more than I ever would have found them before. And so, so you're still but, reading the Bible. Yeah, it just seems like a different Bible to yeah, what other people yeah, are reading. Yeah, and and look in the in the, I guess last five years, there's been opportunity for me to have more time to reflect, mm. and so being being away from the situation, certainly in the last three years, and look back, you know, we can all be very wise in hindsight. Mm. Where I now look back and go, actually, I was very insulated, mm. where, uh, and and still. Um, caught up in that bubble but now looking back I go actually that I'm not proud of that or I'm not yeah. I wish I hadn't done that or whatever the the, the ability to be uh, objective rather than subjective has allowed me to look at you know some controversial bible passages and things like that and go hang on that doesn't make sense and so for instance if God is dictating to a scribe mm. And that scribe is saying, "God, why have you forsaken me?" Mm-hmm. I think that doesn't sound like the sort of thing God would be telling somebody to write down. That <laughs> yeah. just sounds like somebody feeling lost and mm. crying out to God that they're feeling lost. Mm. Um, for someone to say it's all meaningless, mm-hmm. this is all meaningless. That doesn't sound like God dictating to a scribe. Right. That sounds like someone going, "I'm depressed and I've got anxiety and." What a waste of time my last 40 years have been at work, etc. Mm. And so getting to a place where I now think actually people wrote down their best, in the best way they could, their experience of God mm-hmm. rather than God told them to write something down. In that light, the Bible makes more sense to me. Otherwise, I've always got that dichotomy of uh, the angry God from the Old Testament mm-hmm. and the loving God yeah. from the New Testament. I've got stories that now I understand to be written six, seven hundred years after the fact mm. that now look very different to what they did when God was telling yeah. people to go in and kill all the men, kill all the women, kill all the children, hamstring all the horses. How is, how is the Bible for you different now than it, than it was? That's hard to put into words, really. I think um, I, I still think the Bible is a... Is it worth reading? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, I think from a faith perspective, from a historical perspective, 
from a way to live your life perspective mm-hmm. in many respects. You know, I think you you read the stories of Jesus and the influence that Jesus is in the world. I think yes. I would say that this idea that you could just pick up the Bible and just read it, and the best thing that you can do is read the Bible. I wouldn't hold to that anymore. I think that. Right. You know, telling a telling a ten year old the best thing they can do is read the Bible in the old King James, and have any understanding of it whatsoever, right. uh, is is yeah, that's right. I it's think... a, it's not until you get older that you realise actually, you know, it's it's a very ignorant and naive person that would think that by reading the Bible from Genesis through to Revelation, you are going to have a deep an abiding faith in God and a deep understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. Why would you say that? Because you need so much more uh, teaching to understand a book that was written 2,000 years ago and has been translated so many times and uh, the cultural context and all of that. There's there's so much more around that. So you're saying the Bible's an important book but not not how a lot of people currently treat it. And and understand it. I think uh, Richard Raw, he says something similar, and you might have heard him say this. He says, uh, we handed the Bible to people without any philosophical or theological training and they weaponized it. Yes, totally. Totally. So you would agree with that? Uh, uh, Totally, yep. Uh, So easy to, uh, you know, cherry pick verses and then use them against people. And particularly back to that, you're in, you're out type of mentality you know you're not part of my denomination and so you'll be in when you're baptized properly it's used as a weapon to segregate rather than a tool to bring together and include yes and and even when people would say you know we are a fully welcoming church or we're a fully fully inclusive church that's often got a caveat Mm -hmm. Uh, we're inclusive but we're still viewing you as a sinner can, you, you still need to come become more like us yeah. to be fully accepted. And so if I can go back to the homosexuality thing, for example, if, that, if you're coming with a view that stealing things is a choice, murdering people is a choice, and homosexuality is a choice, then you're still treating those people as that transformation has got to happen. Yeah, sure. You know, you will come to know Jesus and then you will be less likely to want to steal stuff, yeah. less likely to want to murder stuff, less likely to be... Yeah, conducting yourself in a debauched and hedonistic way. I no longer think that is a way that you can treat particularly uh, something that people are born with. So what do you think now? So now I think... When it comes to like that verse and uh, inclusion and exclusion and things like that, do you like... I think think there's room for a whole diverse lot of thinking and thought around how you interpret it, and I would say I'm less... I'm, I'm not there. I'm still mm-hmm. working through what's, mm-hmm. what's right and what's wrong in my understanding of and acceptance of and promotion of a the way. Mm. And yeah. if we came back and had this conversation even in three years' time, yeah. the answers could be very different, mm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's probably one of the big bugbears with... Christian faith and Christian denomination in a Western setting. Uh, I need to clarify that as well, you know, because right. because worldwide the the church is very different in in other settings. But I think that whole I'm in, you're out. Yeah. I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah. That's that's a massive thing. And 
I think that well-meaning, good-hearted church people don't fully understand the exclusionary nature of the way they conduct their faith. They, until you're outside of it, you will never understand it. And, and me looking back now has been an amazing time. And people have said, oh, you know, don't stay away. The, the uh, coals will grow cold and whatever. My wife and I both think it's been a great time for us to actually be... Best thing you've ever done. <laughs> what certainly has been amongst the best, yes. Yeah. So so when you, when you say that to like well-meaning Christian people within that world where church is so meaningful but only within their context, mm. would you say right now they might not understand because they haven't gone outside and met the other? Because it sounds like your whole experience was, I'm inside, I'm now forced outside, yep. I know the other's name, I know the foreigner's name, I know yep. the homosexual's life, yep. I know these people, yep. I know the other, yep. they can no longer be other to me anymore. That, exactly so these right. rules that I interpreted that made them the other yep. and the enemy, they're no longer... Perfect. It just doesn't work. Perfect. And so now when I overlay that, yep. what you've just articulated on... The story of the Good Samaritan. Yeah. Or the story of the leper. You know, I think back to that cultural context of the 120 feet that the leper had to stay away. It was their responsibility to yell out, unclean, unclean. I can only imagine a setting where Jesus is able to touch the leper and heal the leper. Mm. Was he chasing him? Mm. Come back. Come. No, no, wait, wait, wait. No, get away, get away. No, no, come back. Can you just imagine the setting? Because culturally... That yeah. guy was not going to go near him. And he would get in trouble if he... He would get in trouble. And so Jesus has pursued this wow. guy. How can I explain it any other way? Right, yeah. That he has pursued the guy who has considered himself the untouchable. Mm. Yeah. And so, it's not like they just he walked around the corner, oh, bumped into him, oh, you're a leper, right. I'll heal you. That, that's yeah. it. So when I overlay that, you know, and I'll go back to the yes. podcast you guys did about the politically, uh, you know, being politically, morally bankrupt. Right. Uh, you have one listener. Yeah, yes. that's right. <laughs> yes, that's right. Exactly. And and I pass that on to uh, someone else. So that's two. Yeah. Awesome. And I want a backhander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're gonna kick back. You're gonna kick back. Don't worry. Cam's only gonna give me what backhander. <laughs> but but that that whole idea that you would think differently now about how you do think about who the leper represents. Yeah. Who the Samaritan represents. The new context you put onto it. That's it. And so and so when you go to that political side of things and we, and you'll vote gladly for someone who treats asylum seekers the way asylum seekers are treated in this country, yeah. that, that you would treat immigrants and say, get away with the flippant stuff that just adds to and fuels people's racism, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But then keep overlaying that back on Jesus. You know, Chinese are a threat until I know someone from China. Yeah. And then and all I, of a sudden they're nice. Like, that's but the, don't worry, Scott Morrison will pray about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, you know, I openly say I have an issue with with him and my one of our friends who is immovable said, how on earth could you say things like that about uh, such a great Christian man? That the biggest problem I have with him is that he espouses to be a great Christian man. Right. That's the problem. Because you're looking yeah. at what his actions. Exactly. If he was, yeah. if he was had the, the same policies and didn't say that, I wouldn't be as mm. as I am. 
because he's not he's not the Jesus chasing the leper. That's, and and a Christian from that, this new context should be the man chasing the leper who is now right. the homosexual, the immigrant, the uh, woman in that's leadership, right. the anyone who was that's previously right. outside. The Christian should be on their side, like Jesus was the leper. That's right. I see. I see. I see Jesus in Jacinta Ardern more than I ever do yeah. in ScoMo. Yeah. I don't know what Jacinta Ardern's uh, faith background is yeah. or whatever, but to see her put on the hijab to be amongst the Muslim women after the massacre speaks volumes. Yeah. To see her talk about the... We're all Kiwis here, we're all New Zealanders, yeah. which brings me back yeah. to uh, our, our clickbait and God having nothing to do with your Bible. Mm. Again... This has nothing to do with God and right. who God is and nothing to do with your Bible and your reading of it. Yeah. It's merely more to do with about the filters that we are putting on yeah. around yeah. what we read because I'm reading the Bible through my life circumstances, yeah. my relationships, my filters, yeah. and I'm coming to a very different conclusion yeah. to someone who doesn't know a gay person yeah. or doesn't know a Muslim person yeah. and whatever. You know, I, I work alongside heaps of Muslim people in my day-to-day work and you get out of the truck and they get out of their truck and g'day mate how you going yeah, yeah good thanks how are you you realise they've got their, they've got their turban other. on and all the rest of it yeah. and, and I've got friends who I know would personally be very uncomfortable yeah. just being face to face with a person with a turban on until they got to know them had a beer with them saw like exactly who they are as people when I get out got out just before Christmas and get out to get my paperwork signed well, you know, we all got knocked off at similar times and, on a, and I've got Muslim guys with turbans on wishing me a Merry Christmas. Yeah, which shatters the political narrative that they're trying to ban exactly. Christmas. Yeah. Exactly. And as soon as that person, that Sikh person with the turban says Merry Christmas, yes. your idea of what you thought they would be like has just broken. And That's so right. you can either come up with some story to be like, oh, was that sarcastic? Does he mean it? Yes. But all that's being disproven because you're like, that was actually yes. genuine. I have to now reassess what I thought. That's right. Right. And that's exactly. what I'm, I guess that's what I'm hearing throughout your whole journey, that whole back and forth yes. between here's what I'm thinking and now here's my, here's what is happening in life. Black and white has become very gray. Yeah. And you, and it sounds like you're saying like, you know, you're less definitive about everything. Hmm but more open and at peace with that, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. I can't categorically say that the Bible, as we understand it now, when written back then with the Apocrypha and all of the verses and the ones that have been included in the canon, the ones that weren't and what have you, weren't written under the influence or inspiration of God in much the same way as I could look out across the scene out the window here, the trees, the dam, the water, and go home now and either paint a picture, not that I can paint very well, or, or write a story about what I've seen, or even write a story about our interaction today, influenced by some of the things that you guys have said or whatever, the setting. But what I can categorically say, that there isn't a person alive who has either rejected Christianity or accepted Christianity who didn't read and accept the Bible that was presented to them as the version, the translation, or whatever, that isn't totally influenced in one way, shape, or form by their upbringing, their cultural setting, their social surroundings, uh, their privilege. Uh, everything has influenced the way they've read what they've read. 
And so the, our clickbait is very much about Understanding context matters, understanding Mm. culture matters, understanding that something that was written 2,000 years ago Mm. has very different meanings. And same as I can say to you guys, I just flew in from New South Wales this morning and straight away you guys have probably got a picture in your head of me landing at Tullamarine, me walking across the thing, getting in the car and coming home. But if I said that to a little island of villagers who have no clue what I'm playing, they're sitting there thinking... This, yeah. this, this bloke got yeah. flip and flap his arms and get <laughs> off the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's good. I think on that note, that's a good place to end it. Um, so thanks for talking to us. Yeah, thanks for sharing your life experience and how and kind of tracking back with us where these ideas have come from. So whether you agree or disagree, don't really care. Not the point of the podcast. I'm hoping that we've been able to get some insight into how someone has come to this conclusion where they see the Bible completely differently now. So if you, uh, you know, you're, you're very outraged or something, great. Send us an email, <laughs> send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. If you think, if you listen to that and say, I disagree with everything and uh, everything he said was just completely wrong, love to hear from you. Love to have you on the show. That's the point. We'd love to understand any perspective, any idea, and where it comes from. So you can reach us on Instagram at Ideas Digest. You can send us an email, ideasdigest at gmail.com. And any thoughts and feedback, we'd love to hear from you. So, But, but unless you've got uh, to say that I'm just coming from a position of being jaded and bitter, I've already been told that, so don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to say, that's hopefully we can have a space that that's, that's okay for that. So until next time, I'll catch you later. See ya.